Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Awesome. Well, welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment podcast. We are so grateful this week to welcome Keith Hanks onto our show from the Boston area, as well as myself, Asha Chandler, and Chaplain Jim Parkin. Welcome back. What's up? Welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, awesome. Appreciate having a fire guy on. This is what I started in, in the fire service. And then and then what you'll find incredibly odd, is, and most fire guys do, is that once I dabbled in, I got into the EMS side, and I got into the paramedic part of that i just was just full sin into the medical side now in the firehouse which we're not we're all private services around here yep but in the firehouse the ambulance is not necessarily the highest rung in the uh... <laughs> you don't say <laughs> we call it the uh red-headed stepchildren out by me uh-huh. yeah. yeah so we have a, a you know in the, our county it's a strange dynamic because the uh, municipal, the municipal EMS are sheriff's deputies. Mm. So they, and so how that works is back in the day, all the private companies were just EMT, like basic BLS companies. So they had echo units, they called them. So the, the paramedic or sheriff's deputy would get on scene and do kind of the advanced life support. And that through the years, they're still around, but it's kind of phased out because all the agencies are ALS now. Mm-hmm. But it's always been a strange, you know, for some people, it's strange when they're having a cardiac event and then a cop comes to the door. Yeah, I, I can see where that would be uh, <laughs> a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's stuff that I've had to learn. So my, I have a bachelor's in accounting. So when our families hooked up years ago, there's just been a huge learning curve on my part because I don't have any direct family members that have served in first response. My mom is an RN and she worked in the ICU unit for years and years. Um, But other than that, there's just been a lot of questions. And that's a a lot of what I do on the show here is just, oh, that's interesting. Explain that to me. I don't understand, you know. (laughs) It's all about learning. It is. It is. So just things like that, that I, I wouldn't understand as far as somebody being served by emergency services coming into my home or something like that. Yeah. That would, I'd be like, what is going on? I would, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, so, uh, so what started, how did your whole, how did you decide on fire? I guess is the question. How did you get to where you are? Uh, so my family, uh, so I started, my family has its roots in the military and firefighting world. Uh, it's actually cool. I can trace my, uh, firefighting roots back to 1875. Uh, there's been a member, a member of my family in since then. I'm, I'm actually the last one, um, in my family, I'm the last generation who was on the job. Okay. Um, so, uh, military background too. My family uh, was big in the military. Both my grandfathers were sergeants in World War II. We grew up, or I grew up. I was an only child. Uh, very disciplined. Uh, very emotionless family. Um, we'll call that uh, generational trauma, uh, for the sake of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, I mean. Growing up, my parents separated when I was young. Uh, my family, you know, I, I had a second family with the fire service, the firehouse, uh, basically living there uh, as a kid. 
Um, and it was never a question of me getting on. It was people asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was never a matter of want. It was a matter of uh, I was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, senior year in high school, I joined the call force, uh, the fight about my family had been part of for all that time. Uh, and of course, at this point, I had a you know pretty troubled childhood. Uh, abuse, all forms of abuse had ran through my childhood. So I didn't have an identity. I was very uh, removed from the rest of my uh, classmates and whatnot. Um, so then I joined the fire department, uh, get put through a paramilitary boot camp. And while well, still a senior in high school, and uh, two days after my 18th birthday, I get my first fire. I get sworn in, I get pinned, and I get my first fire all on the same night. Wow. And uh, this is, I always, I always tell this part. This is, this is a pivotal part of like when I became a, a man um, because I didn't know who I was. And then I come out of that fire and, and my identity was handed to me. And, um, you know, identity and purpose is huge in the first responder world. We, we carry that. That's a, you know, a badge of honor, pun intended, uh, in more ways than one. And, uh, that was for me, that was, that was the way it was. I had from there on out, that was who I was. I was fireman Keith. I was EMT Keith. I was, you know, whatever, you know, all this heroic crap. And, uh, you know, it's that's sort of where it began was, you know, my senior in high school, just being a young kid. And and uh, right after, you know, right from the get go, I, you know, most of those around me discovered I was also a black cloud, uh, meaning that uh, <laughs> I brought all the bad stuff with me. Uh, lots of fires, but lots of bad calls. And um, that's sort of set pace for what became my career from there on out. Nice. That's, awesome. that's true. That's. So it's interesting, you know, I did the military as well. I was in the army from 90 to 96. So, you know, desert shield and storm came and went while I was in basic training, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then nothing really, you know, uh, I guess, well, I was not involved in it, but I think the only notable skirmish, if you will, was the uh, battle in Mogadishu or Black Hawk Down has been come to know. But then just struggled, and when I got out of the military, right, the transition was, like, I didn't know what I was doing, all kinds of terrible civilian jobs. Didn't really understand being around civilians. And then it was not till we moved back, moved from, uh, like, Tacoma, Washington, back here to Michigan, and I joined a local paid-on-call department. Here mm-hmm. the cities have, probably like everywhere else, the cities have are professional, as if it as it were. And then the rest of us are paid on call guys with the same training, but mm-hmm. it was through that it was trading my time in a hazardous, like a hazmat ops course to be. So then the chief, that was the trade. He says, if you do this hazardous materials program, I'll pay for your EMT. Oh, there you go. Right. And I was like, Oh, I thought about it. Cause it's, it's one of the worst. It's just terrible. Actually it's terrible. Yeah. Hazmat sucks. Well, yeah. hazmat sounds already terrible, so I'm trying to imagine <laughs> what would make it even more terrible so, about being terrible. So <laughs> did that, got EMT, and then I was just hooked. And, you know, and I had had a couple fires and stuff like that. A um, couple, like, uh, we have through our through our uh, county or through our township a huge portion of I-75. Mm. So we would have all kinds of PIs and trapments, car accidents and stuff like that, but then it wasn't until, you know, EMT clinicals tell them, you know, we're doing ER clinicals and they bring in a trauma patient and I was just hooked. Yeah. Never looked back. 
Yeah, it, grab, it puts its hooks in you, and, and you, you know, especially with when you have like a um, any sort of you know pass, like if you're in the military or whatever it is, and you come into this as a as a career option, it's like, oh well, yeah, I, I love this chaos. Chaos is great. Mm-hmm. You know, chaos occupies my mind and it takes me away from some of the other things I may be thinking about. And uh, I think that's why a lot of people get into it and, and why it becomes like a uh, almost like a drug. Yeah. 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 No. I'm I'm trying to think of just even on a, on a people side of things, if I can feel like I've got a bit of control in mm. assisting somebody else through the chaos that they're going through, then it it kind of helps give a little bit more. And and I think in some ways it does kind of give purpose to our own chaos. If we can kind of use our superpower for good, you know, some life experiences and things that we've been through. But um, I know for me and my husband personally, just trying to get from a place where it's just kind of chaos and chaos to a point where it's, we're actually learning healthy skills. We're actually becoming more whole and together Mm. so that I'm actually engaging with other people and more, productive capacities and actually letting them be responsible for what they need to be responsible for and not doing so much work to feel like, Oh, well, I've got to, I've got to assist here and I've got to assist here and I've got to do this. So it's, it's been a, it's been a journey, I'm sure. You know, and it's, it's tough. Um, and I know Jim can probably relate to this as, as, as a first responder, you, you become this, uh, you get this helper mentality. And I, I think most of us have it before we even get on the job. We're just, I think we're just destined to be that person. Yeah. And that's a, you know, a big reason why we get on the job. And that is, I know for me, I, I I'm a helper to, to a fault and, you know, it's always others before me. It's always, um, you know, taking care of the family before my needs, you know, whatever it is, things that people are like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. But it's like, yeah, but it's to a fault. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, I think a lot of why so many of us end up, uh, you know, going down like I did, uh, and finally getting diagnosed with like PTSD because it was always ignore yourself and help others because, well, that's what we do for a job. So that must be what we have to do in life. Uh, and that's less than helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's where we get to that that trying to pour from an empty cup thing. Right. Yep. You know, and everybody, everybody does it. I think that everybody who gets on this job goes through it at least a season of where they're just, and then it's just, you're just spinning wheels. Isn't really not helpful. Yep. You're not careful. Then you become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. And you know what I mean? It's a slippery slope, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think as a culture right now, uh, you know, specifically the fire and, fire EMS and like police, the bigger, the bigger pillars of the first responder world, I think um, is a crisis. And, you know, there's so many out there that right now that are hurting uh, because of this, uh, this, this helper mentality has, has clouded our ability to take care of ourselves. And um, it is, it's a slippery slope and a lot of people, you know, go, go down it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I think, I was, I'm sorry, I was going to just say mm-hmm. that, you know, season based, I think that there's, different capacities and different seasons. And so kind of, I was listening to the, was it the, the intro card or something on the website, the coaching website. Hmm. And when I got into it, I didn't realize I was like, Oh, this is, this is Keith. Keith is hmm. talking about his story and stuff is really cool. Um, but I think that it, you know, on top of different seasons, having different capacities and then not necessarily dealing with, things as they start to pile on and then getting to a point where now I'm so far in that how do I unravel or how do I go back to actually start taking care of myself? But now I've got this whole pile of stuff that 
like maybe individually would have been a lot more manageable, like absolutely. But now that I'm this far in, how do I do all this stuff? But I, um, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it's, and the problem is, you know, for, you know, a guy my age, I'm 44 and I got on the job in 96. Um, so this would, this would have been my 26th year. You know, when I got on, I was being trained by people who already had 20 plus years. And that mentality was, you know, suck it up. It was get out there, do the job. This can't affect you. It won't affect you. You won't allow it to affect you. We have to be at our, you know, top performing level. And um, so my generation is trained that way. And then now that all the members who are training us are, are long gone, they're all retired or dead or whatever. And um, now my generation, who some of us are, you know, very few of us are of the mindset of, oh, we can't be this way. But the majority of us, you know, in my age bracket, we'll say like 38 to 52 ish um, are now in leadership and, you know, administrative roles. Uh, and they're the ones kind of, you know, calling the shots and, and leading the new people coming in. And so this mentality kind of continues. And, you know, like you were just saying, it's, it's, it's stockpiles. It just builds up. And because not enough people are, are dealing with, uh, you know, what we can be dealing with on a daily, it doesn't mean we need to, you know, to have a powwow every 15 minutes. But um, if we can be dealing with these things as they come up, I think the uh, culture as a whole would be doing a right. lot better. Absolutely. Right. I was just talking about that with a, a friend of mine that's a, he's a, uh, for one of the local hospitals, he runs a EM, the, the uh, EMS training. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was asking him because I came in, so I'll, I'll be 53 in a couple weeks and still, you know, thank God for technology and, <laughs> and automatic loaders and power cots, but <laughs> thank uh, God. <laughs> But, you know, that wasn't what's what's scary to me is that I came through and kind of I'm, I'm looking back and, and kind of seeing how some of us do the same thing is you're coming into this profession and all you're hearing about is how bad it is, especially mm-hmm. on the EMS side. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got someone coming in brand like brand new young kid, you know, He's been watching Chicago fire or whatever it is. And he thinks he's <laughs> going to change the world. And the yep. first thing he hears is how terrible it is. Yep. Or nobody's telling him, like, how good would it be to go into these academies or go in these classes and say, like, listen, this is going to beat you up. Mm-hmm. It can beat you up mentally and physically. And so you got to be on top of that. Be on top of your physical and mental fitness because we don't do that. No. We drill all the time. We train all our medical proficiencies and stuff like that. But, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's just now it seems like just scratching the surface. No, totally. It, it's, it's tough because like I'll go, I'll do presentations at, um, and EMT classes. And, and one of the things I always say is, um, you know, typically it's like a two hour presentation, but Hey, you know, the next two hours is going to be really heavy. You're going to hear some sad shit, but honestly, it's going to better prepare you and it's yeah. going to help you have a better more fulfilling career because this is one of the best jobs in the world and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of good stuff to take from it um when you can uh navigate the bad stuff Mm -hmm. you know and it really does it starts with the new people it starts with the academy and um there's not enough being done right well and the reality is that we're never going to not need these disciplines Mm -mm. no you're never gonna get a robot to do what we do i don't don't think that's ever gonna happen no Um, so there is it's incredible when 
people meet people in those hard places. So it's just a phenomenal impact to begin with. And so, I mean, it's just been encouraging for us to further network and like meet people like you that are doing some incredible things around the nation to Mm -hmm. invest in, to support, to provide resources to first responders. Cause, and we want, we want these guys to thrive. We want, you know, we want, I want to see young people continue to come into these professions and be set up for success and, and know that, Hey, I can do this because I, I'm going to do this and this and this because of my community, because of my support system, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this mm-hmm. and navigate all the stuff that comes my way. Um, and that's a whole different mindset um, to be able to start out with. And it's just really encouraging to just see, I don't know, for me, it's just been phenomenal. Oh my gosh, this is going on. Oh my gosh, this person's doing this thing. Oh my gosh. You know, like, and just for our, even our County here, for more and more of our community and our listeners to, to see, okay, there's a lot of options out there for me and I'm not in this alone. And I don't, the expectation isn't that I need to just kind of try down by myself and, and figure this out on myself. So I love it. I'm totally geeks me out. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, it, it helps with hope. And, you know, I think unfortunately, uh, you know, these days, uh, you know, we're so connected you know, we're, we are plugged into the matrix, if you will, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. 24 yeah. seven. And unfortunately, I think, you know, for the most part, the media likes to make sure we see bad stuff. And, um, when you, when you, when you, when you network in this, in this area and you, and you go around and, and do a lot of the things that I do, you do get that sense of, oh, well, there is a lot more happening out there. There are a lot of people trying to, um, you know, better this job and better this culture. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all mm-hmm. bad stuff. Uh, there is a lot of good happening, um, you know, and unfortunately it just doesn't get the airtime uh, that it really deserves. And I honestly think what would help a lot of people would just be to, to hear it and know that, you know, people are trying to make, you know, a difference. And uh, sometimes that's all you need is that hope. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's been beneficial, you know, like Ashley said, same for me, it's been encouraging because we've been kind of drudging along with this, this podcast and stuff since, what 2017 yeah you know trying to trying to get stuff done and and honestly coming out of covid and stuff i was like does anybody even is anybody doing this is anybody is this like literally just me and no one's hearing this Mm. and then started seeing other people sort of plugging in more and and getting connected and, and like seeing what you got going on the overwatch guys out in california and just i was like wow this is this is bigger than i thought you know yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot going on, you know, and, and I so um, I got diagnosed with PTSD officially um, in 2015. And when I did, I went through a couple of first responder based programs out here in my area, in New England. Um, the first one was sort of like a retreat, if you will. Uh, not a lot of invasive stuff. They did EMDR. Um, yep. yeah. the, um, I forget what it stands for, but it's basically left brain, right brain. It's, it's a filing way for your traumas. Um, ended up at a different program, which was more hospital based, uh, again, first responder orientated. Uh, and when I got out, I was one of these things where I, you know, I finally had a little bit better clarity. You know, I wasn't out of the woods yet, but, um, I realized that, you know, I, I didn't want, um, people either I, that I knew or didn't know to continue to have to suffer the way I was. And, um, so, you know, even as far back as 2015, I started advocating and doing stuff with social media and, um, you know, it, it was um, 
definitely humbling because being vocal and being public about stuff like this seven years ago um, was frowned upon quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, I even to the point where I got removed from a training position on the, on the fire department I was in, um, even though they were the ones who pushed me to get help. Um, eventually I sort of got cast out and it was, it was eye opening. And, um, but it was, it was more fuel. It was, it was one of those things right. where I was like, Hey, this needs to stop happening. Like, like we deal where we are the one to one and a half percenters in, in society as first responders. You know, there's only one to one and a half percent of us that can do this job. And we do a job that day in and day out has the potential to be very bad yeah, and potentially be very good too. But we see the worst of society. Our best days are someone's worst days. And, you know, it's um, to, for someone to, and I'm not the only one who's had it happen, but for someone to reach out and get help and then be cast out, that, that stuff just needs to stop. And um, that was sort of what fueled my, the beginning of what I, uh, when I started advocating was, I just felt no one should have to go through that as crap. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <clears throat> so That's how do you kinda, do- go for it. I was well. I was gonna segue into how the the um, the coaching started, but if, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you want to mention something else first, Jim. No, no, no. I would love to know how that that all got started. Then, yeah. So the uh, the coaching was uh, sort of a later in the uh, in the cycle. Um, it was uh, it came to be in the fall of 2021. At this point, I had been uh, I had already started as a as a speaker uh, and doing podcasts and doing different things and. Um, I had met uh, this woman through a uh, first responder based Facebook group. And, you know, as a guy um, who's married very happily, who gets a message from a woman on Facebook, um, you're kind of like, what is going on here? And, you know, my, my home record alarm is going off in my, yeah, yeah. Back in my brain. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, yeah, what do you want? And uh, so anyway, we talk and she's like, hey, listen, I got this coaching business. I know you don't know what I'm talking about because you're a first responder and I'm talking about coaching. So we meet up for coffee one day and, um, you know, she starts telling me kind of what it is and, um, you know, how it's, it's basically just, just getting a different perspective and, and learning better communication skills and, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, all right, all right, that's cool. And, uh, you know, I had already kind of at this point dealt with a lot of different modalities, uh, with my mental health. And so I was pretty open-minded with things. Um, and I had actually just started doing, getting really into like meditation and mindfulness really? uh, and kind of living in the now. And so this was sort of one of those, um, another modality that kind of fit into that. And so, you know, she started coaching me on different things and, you know, immediately I'm like, holy cow, like um, this, this is great. This is just different enough from all the therapy I've had uh, where like, if you go to, you know, you go to a therapist and you're depressed, they're going to, guide you down the path to help you become less depressed. And that's what you work on. You work on your mental health and being less depressed with a therapist. And that's great. I mean, therapists have their place, but I was able to work on things that I had never worked on with anyone, you know, simple things. You know, why was I, why was I always staying in my comfort zone? Uh, even within, you know, the advocating or, or whatever, why was I, why was I limiting myself? And um, so immediately we start working on, getting out of that comfort zone, asking myself the questions as to why I'm where I'm at and how I got there and, and where do I want to be? That's good. And, That's and, really uh, good. It, it just blew yeah. up. It blew up. And, you know, so I then became a coach. Uh, she put me through the certification course. So I became a coach. I don't actively coach. Um, I use it uh, through my peer support group when I'm, uh, 
when I go to help the members there. Um, but uh, we quickly realized that she sort of wanted me to be her uh, her street credit, yeah, because I was sort of um, that was the first responder who you know kind of got through PTSD and was a voice in this culture. So she uh, she made me her director of business development, and then we realized that was a little too much of a sales position for me. I'm not a sales guy. You know, I'm not so I'm not someone who can get someone who's coming to buy a new stove to buy a fridge they don't need. Yeah. So yeah. um we realized that I'm really good with my voice though. And so she moved me to a position more fitting and now I'm the, her director of promotions. Um, nice. More of what I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's been a it's been a cool journey with that. Um coaching is and I, I know like the church uses it a lot, it's been used more you know, in like the church life and, uh, you know, the corporate world before it ever got to uh, the first responder world. And it's barely in the first responder world now, but it's, it's an incredible tool. It's mm. awesome. I'm part of a coaching group right now. And my mm. husband and I have both done a couple of coaching groups over the years. And it's just, it's amazing how such a simple format, but to be asking some of those profound questions and then be like, okay, so what's the follow-up in next week? Like, what are, what are you actually mm, yeah. doing about it until we like, it's to-do lists, like sharing your dreams and then having to-do lists. It's just wonderful how just having accountability and relationship with other people and talking through stuff is so powerful. So yeah, that's, that's cool. it, it, it's great. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is, uh, you know, they've been using this the corporate world to build uh, very strong leaders. And, you know, as first responders, we swear by our leadership, right? We, we're like, we, we are the society's leaders, you know, so you know, when I when I get out and talk about this this tool, I always tell them this is how you make yourself a better leader. This is how you work on because at the core of leadership is communication, and you know one of the things that this can do is build upon that because of the you know the three different types of listening, and we all we all tend to be you know in the first responder world we all tend to be that one who's just aching to give our part of the story, and um, this helps you know develop that communication skill so much better, and it can just flourish in the first responder world that's awesome <laughs> it's funny because our in our agency right now they're doing like our our operations manager had to retire like uh, like mm. immediate medical retirement so things are shifting so the leadership group is like frantically trying to figure out where they all stand mm. and so it's been with my military background and just just the number of years in service I have on all of them. It's been, it's been fun. It's not fun for them. I know it's not. And I, and I, you know, they'll get it together, but it's, it's been fun for me because right now what they're going through isn't leadership. It's leadership. Yeah, they're, yeah. Like, they're like, cause everyone's trying to, how's it all going to play out? And if this happens, you know, yeah, you know, and then they keep coming to me and I'm like, I can't call it. <laughs> you know what I mean, I was just, it's I'm tough just, too, it, you know, with private EMS, it's, um, it's tough because there is a separation in a lot of cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases with private EMS versus like municipal EMS or, or fire-based. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a lot of the times you don't have that same form of, uh, you know, discipline or leadership or the hierarchy or whatever in private EMS that you do in these other ones. And, um, you know, it's times like what you just described where you, you really do see that, <laughs> you know, at its core, right. uh, what happens when you don't have that, uh, leadership? Well, it's, I think the big thing, what I'm seeing is that, you know, and probably the same with you, 
as time spent in the fire service and time spent in the military, then I'm obviously going to be a big follower and believer in chain of command. Mm -hmm. You know, so when my next hire guy, when I'm like, Hey, I I need this, or I got this going on and, and they'll be like, well, call the supervisor phone. I'm like, no, (laughs) like you are, you're my chain of command. I go to you, you go to him. Yep. You know, unless you, it's something you can't handle and then we go to him. And it's just, it's been an interesting dynamic for me to watch because I've always been, I've always been that guy. The guy right above me is my guy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, so it's interesting. It's interesting when that piece is missing or when people don't have that experience to build from because all the, like the, it's all set up to be that way. You know, mm-hmm. we have, we have the, rank and file and then you have you know to kind of break it down Ashley how it would go is it'd be like the regular paramedics okay and then you have FTOs would be okay. like your sergeants and then you have your you know captains and lieutenants would be your supervisors and it works on up to the like the chief officers which would be in MMR's case like Eric and Lori there and it kind of builds up to them and there's you know, and, and right now there's everybody kind of, there's always these workarounds and there's still that there's that in the fire service. There's guys oh, yeah. that, that cheat the chain of command and they just go directly. And there's little alliances that happen and all these things. Oh, clicks. Yep. But it's tons of politics, oh, tons my God. Of, <laughs> but it's, but those are all the things, you know? And then when you look at, you take that aspect of it, the leadership piece that just piles on to the PTSD piece. That's just one of those. I tell Ashley all the time. I talk about like little micro traumas and micro stressors. That's that. That's all little extra stuff that, you know, this guy over here wants you to do, which is really immaterial, but he's a, you know, he's a boss, so he's, you he's chirping young. Yeah. yeah. It's uh administrative betrayal is a huge thing. Um, uh, it's, it's more so in law enforcement. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it was, it was honestly, uh, when I, when I realized I had to leave the job, it wasn't because of bad call. It was, um, it was because I got thrown under the bus by my administrators and it was, I was working private EMS and literally the incident started because I yelled at a nurse. I was having a bad day. She was having a bad day. She almost killed the patient. And I let her know that. And um, it came back to me. And uh, at that point I was already diagnosed with PTSD and they used it against me. And they were like, oh. they like, um, yeah, so uh, you need to stay out until you can get cleared back from work. And I'm like, cleared to go back from what? I yelled at someone. I'm a human being. And she almost killed another human being. Like I right. let her know she was wrong, but it was, um, you know, the administrators and leaders, a lot of times they don't realize the damage they're doing uh, or the situation right. making worse. And, um, you know, a lot of times um, that ends up being a very, a very prevalent situation. And a lot of us, a lot of the, um, you know, men and women I network with now have had that experience. I've had some sort of administrative situation that was like, you know, this is it. This is the straw that's going to break the camel's back with me. And I am out. And it wasn't um, just a bad call. It was how maybe administration handled it, or maybe it wasn't a bad call at all. And it was just some, you know, bullshit where, um, you know, administrator, you know, came out the side of their neck at the really bad time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. it was very unsupportive. Um, 
Yeah. So it's a, it's a real thing and it happens a lot, uh, a lot in private EMS, but it happens a, a ton in law enforcement. Uh, yeah. The cops get it a lot because they, you know, they got to, they, you know, dot their eyes and cross their T's and, and smile and wave like they're running from there every day now. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so it happens with them a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that, that is what I was at a one agency for 18 years and then left this past, what, actually like April and moved to a different company. And that was the reason that was, mm-hmm. that was, and, and no knock on them, but cause you know, in the EMS game, COVID was a big deal like it was in healthcare and no yep. one really knew what to do. And then it started wearing guys out, you know, the, uh, the uh, compassion fatigue was real and that had set in post-traumatic stress from seeing, you know, early on colleagues were dying and getting sick that were young and healthy yep. nurses and stuff like that. And then just started to wear on people and, and they're the kind of the old school mentality of just, you know, I, I would say, Hey, look, we have a mental health crisis going on. And the bosses would be like, you shut up and do your job. Let me do mine. Like, yeah. Hush, hush. Shh, don't say that. Right. Yeah. We don't and need just, that right now. <laughs> it just piled on and piled on. And it was right. like the same similar situation. It was just, all right, that's it. I, I have to. And it was really, a just, I, one day I'm like, I can't be here. I got to, I won't survive here. Yeah. And it was completely. I know it was super difficult because you're a very loyal person and kind of going back (laughs) to your military experience of like, no, this is, this is who I'm serving. This is how everything works. Like this is my family Mm -hmm. and this is my crew. And I mean, I know in corporate offices, it's, it's difficult to have like work family and then leave knowing that you're never going to talk to them again. Hmm. You know, so even more so, I can only imagine what that's like to weigh the cost of leaving an agency, knowing that I've been through some stuff with these people. And yeah. like, I'm not just letting go of a job here. I'm letting go of people. Right. Family. They're your yeah. family. Yeah. And it's, it ends up becoming one of, you know, at least in my case, um, it, it was one of those things where it was like, that was that piece that was keeping me there a lot was you know, these are people I've, I've bled with. These are people I've shared time with. These are people I were there when my, you know, kids were born, family get togethers, funerals, like yeah. you know, intimate moments of life that you shared time with. And that's what makes it sometimes so hard for us to, to either grow, move on or, or exit stage, right. Whatever it may be um, for those of us in, in the first responder world. Cause we do, we, we develop these families, a very close knit families, um, because of what we go through day in and day out. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you guys been on b- bad calls together. But, you know, it's really like how we live together. Yeah. Uh, you know, we eat together. We live together. We make fun of each other's books that we read or movies we watch or whatever it is, you know, clothes we wear or vacations we go on or whatever. We 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 develop this almost unbreakable bond with these people. And um, right. it can be detrimental when, it, when it's really time for us to move on. Right. Uh, that bond will keep us there. Yeah. Well, and maybe does it impact the the slow change to change a lot of this culture and mindset? Because I'm I'm willing to endure the chaos and dysfunction more because it's just that hard to yeah. change culture. I, I think it's that, and I and I honestly think that you know because we are such a tight family, none of us want to upset that family, and. Yeah. and right, we're afraid of that happening. We're afraid of oh well, if we start dealing with this, or if I'm the one to change it. And I get cast out. There goes my family, and it's um, yeah. 
you know, that that's essentially what happened to me. I mean, when I decided to make this what I do, um, I did. I lost a lot of people in my life and and it went from having to pick which barbecue I went to on Sunday to not getting invited to one for four years. And it's, uh, but it was all worth it. And, and I would do it again. And I, and I get asked it all the time, would you do it again? No. And I absolutely would because it is making changes and the mm -hmm. culture has to change. It has to change. We're, we're dying now by our own hands more than we are by the job. Right. right. Astronomically higher. And that's scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's a great point that both of you made there. It's, I think it is, there is quite a bit of not wanting to disrupt the, 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 the tribe. Yep. You know what I mean? You don't want to, you don't want to mess with it. You know, everybody's got this trauma bond and you don't want to, <laughs> if you're the guy that breaks the bond, you know, then you're out. You're out. <laughs> no one wants to be out. Right. You know? which is this weird dynamic, right? Is this weird catch 22 because like they'll cast you out and that makes it worse. And then now you're the guy all by yourself on the outside as much like the military now. Yeah. Like the military, when I got out, a bunch of guys went in and a bunch of guys got out all at the same time. It was difficult, mm. but now guys get ripped out mid deployment all by themselves. Uh, yep. Yep. You know, like, so imagine that, like, you get ripped out of Afghanistan or whatever the case may be, and now you're home, and then that next 24-hour news cycle, your guys yep. are in some type of big event that you're not there for, and now you got to live with that. It's the, all those dynamics, all those little nuances that that really nobody talks about. Yeah. It's, it's the military. The military is crazy, too. Uh, I'm one of my close friends, uh, Steve. He um, He was a Marine. He's now a firefighter medic. Uh, he was a three-tour Marine. He did Ramadi, Fallujah, and uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, he was in the heart of some of the toughest fighting in the Middle East. And he he always tells it. He tells a story where, um, you know, when you get sent to, you know, talk to the Navy doc, uh, they tell you, lie. Do not tell them you're hurting. Lie. Or you will not go home right now. You will be. You will spend, you know, whatever it is, whether you end up at Leavenworth or wherever you end up, one medical hospital or the other, you're going to end up somewhere for six months. You are not going home. And guys lie. They lie. And it, it's self-perpetuating. It makes that situation uh, even worse. Uh, you know, so the military is its own animal. And, um, you know, you know, thank God that at least um, we are seeing, you know, this this light shed on trauma because of veterans, because of the military, because it has um, sort of. Uh, translated over the first responder world and even parts of society, because we are realizing that um, we are carrying a lot of trauma as, uh, as helpers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's good. <laughs> There's so much to it, right? There's so much yeah. nuance and we still, like I said earlier, it just seems like we're, although people have been involved and been pushing, you know, pushing the, uh, the, the talking points and whatnot is still just scratching the surface. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot below it. And, you know, you know, I think what's below the waves is, um, you know, with what I've been involved, I've, I've actually been part of quite a few um, like uh, case studies and stuff through different organizations on, um, on trauma and whatnot. One of the first ones was through a place, McLean's hospital, which is out by me uh, as part of like Harvard and all those bigger names. Um, yeah. And that I was part of one actually out of uh, 
England not that long ago. And one of the things they're looking at is um, childhood trauma. They are seeing that a very large number, specifically men, a lot of these studies are, ma- are male-based uh, just because we're the you know predominant force in these fields. Yeah. Um, 75 to 90% of, of men who participate in these studies are also having childhood trauma. And yeah, I've heard some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of us who are in this who talk about this. Now, I'm very open about all my stuff. I'm, I am about as transparent as I come. I have nothing to hide. I've done a lot of work on my stuff, and that's where I'm at. But I've networked with a lot of people who don't necessarily talk about that part of their life publicly, but will admit to it when you talk to them. And there's a lot of us who come to the job already with a closet full of bad juju. And a lot of that bad juju is childhood stuff. And yeah. a lot of that is sexual abuse. Yeah. And so there might be a common uh, denominator here uh, with a lot of it. And they're trying to figure out, like, well, what do we do with it? Right. <laughs> what do you do? You can't go back in time. Right. And right. and is that the reason why a lot of first responders are so good at what they do? Why we're so, you know, ready to face the flames or ready to charge towards a bullet or whatever it may be. Is that, is that why? Cause we have that no fear mentality. I know I did. I was to this day, I'm still, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not ready to, but right. on the job, I was the first one in and I was the last one out. And it wasn't that was it the fact that I had already been through a lot of really bad stuff as a kid that nothing was going to match up to that. Yeah. Something to ponder, you know? Yeah, no, it, it makes me think of a comment you made earlier about just I already felt outside the normal experience of fellow classmates and people like feeling yeah. abnormal already to begin with, which is funny because I've kind of reading on some of this stuff too of like how many adults, like if you look at percentages of our U.S. population are walking around having experienced childhood trauma. You know, and, and so it's like, we're not really abnormal, but we feel like we're the only people that have, like, we just feel so isolated and things. Um, my husband and I just recently in the last, like, I think three years or so or something, we took our ACEs score, adverse childhood experiences score. Mm -hmm. And we're like taking these things that I'm like, yeah, we are kind of crazy. Like we keep pushing it down. Like, oh, we shouldn't be crazy. Shouldn't be crazy. Shouldn't be crazy. I'm like, dang, we are both crazy like our numbers are like yeah these numbers of people are blah 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 blah. and i'm like okay so again like is it pre-verbal would i do with it who would i talk to who's that trauma experience you know all this and everything to go talk to somebody and then it's like i like what you said before too like working on just being present in the moment like what of my life do i focus on this is where i'm just present so i can start building like healthy interactions and behaviors. Um, it, it, it'll suck you in. It's a vortex. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, with what, you know, I've faced um, when it comes to my healing, because in order to heal, I ended up realizing I had to face all the bad stuff. I, it was, you know, sitting and being like, okay, this happened to me. That wasn't working. I had to face it. And yeah. it was when I faced a lot of my childhood stuff that I realized that, um, I was making decisions as an adult based on things that happened to me when I was six years old and how many yeah. of us are doing that, you know, yeah. on the job, off the job, marriage, relationships, finances, and finance is a big one, you know, but like all of them, 
how many how many of us are making those decisions because of things we just don't want to face because it's abnormal? It's not right. I'm not saying that, but is is it really as abnormal as we think? Right. I think more people have it, and it, it's just an abnormal conversation to have. Um, right. You know, at this point with society, that most people just think, "Oh, that's just weird," but they're probably thinking the same thing. Oh, crap! That happened to me as a kid, but I can't let on that I that happened to me. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I I think that in what I'm seeing, I feel like there's very high acceptance of, oh, I want to go, I, I'm going to a counselor right now, or I'm doing coaching, or I'm going to a therapist. I think that there's a lot more acceptance from what I'm seeing. What is both of your perspectives as far as your first responder communities that you're in right now? Do you like percentage wise, do you think that 20% of people feel that it's okay to go get like, where, where do you, where do you see that being right now for your communities? Well, uh, here I'll, I'll in, in, in like Flint, in yeah. our area, yeah, it's still the dark ages. Yeah. It's okay. still like MMR, our, our agency, and the work we're doing now to create our mental health task force and, and get like solid, you know, uh, solid resources and stuff, get like peer support and stuff like that. It's like cutting edge. Mm. It's 2022 and we're, we're like tip of the spear stuff here. Yeah. And a lot of it actually they're started, they're trying to funnel through what we're doing with this podcast and they're taking, taking notes from what we're doing. So it's still like, I, you know, I talked to a counselor this morning, every other Monday, you know, and I talk like that. I talk like that to my coworkers and, and it's like, it blows their mind. I'm like, yeah, dude, like, like, are you, you're crazy for not, is what I'll tell him. You got to find, find somebody or like I've been harping on recently is journal, write it down. Like write everything down, write everything down and then publish it and it'll help somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just here. I don't know about for you guys out there, man, but for like, for us, it's still, it's, I don't know. It's. I think the overall, so I think the, I think the message is out. I think people can see it. Um, but I still know because I'm, you know, so very well connected and I have people specifically in my peer support team or peer support group, uh, that are still on the job, uh, that there are times when, you know, suicides specifically are, are still being covered up. You know, departments are hiding that these things are happening for fear of bad press or, or whatever. And it's like, this this isn't helping. So I guess my answer would be um I don't even think it's in the double digits right now when it comes to acceptance. I think it's somewhere between five and seven percent of the overall first responder world is is accepting, I guess, publicly of this. Um there may be people who go home after the shift and like, wow, I really wish people would talk about this more. But publicly, um, I think we're we're still very low numbers. I think we're under 10% when when it comes to this. And we have a very long road ahead of us. And, uh, you know, that's good, bad, and indifferent. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. for me, that's, it's fine. I'm, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. It sucks because I wish we were further ahead, but, right. um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, people like us, you know, this podcast, other podcasts talk about this stuff. That's why we're doing it is to yeah. get right. this public Absolutely. and to get people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, I feel like there can't be enough, like there's never going to be too many. No. Never too many discussions, never too many posts, you know, 
It's like anything else. Like it's like um, you know, back when you know HIV, it was so right. taboo. Oh no, HIV! You say it, and it's like now you work on an ambulance. It's like oh yeah, I got a needle stick, no big deal. I'll take the cocktail, I'll be fine. You know, it's, right. it's no worries. Same with cancer. Cancer was a c word. You know, mm-hmm. back in the eighties, yeah. we did you know the other c word. We didn't talk about it. And now it's like now in a fire service, we're we're doing pre testing, we're doing screenings, we're cleaning uh-huh. our gear. We're not, we're not wearing flash hoods like scarves. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's things have changed and it's because of the conversation. And I think that's what things like this are is, is that conversation side or tip of the spear, if you will, like you said. Um, but you know, we're still, we got a ways ahead of us with it. Wasn't that just recently speaking of that? I was, so I, I recently left, I'm our fire department's chaplain, but mm-hmm. as far as fighting fires, so I went to a chiropractor about a year ago and, and through the oh. x-rays and getting set up, he discovered that I had at some point a uh, compression fracture at C5, like unbeknownst to me. And you know how heavy those leather helmets are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know how, other than by the grace of God, that I didn't, you know, go full paralyzed in the middle of some type of structure fire somewhere. But um, in any case... Um, that's removed me from that side of the service. I might, the train just left the station. You guys ever didn't even know where I was going with that. It happens. <laughs> it'll come back. It'll, it'll go, it'll do its It'll do its lap and it'll, it'll come back. It'll be good. It'll, it'll, be good. it'll come back through. <laughs> happens to me every day, man. That's why I'm constantly <laughs> writing stuff down. Say. All the time, I, I'm constantly I still walk into rooms and be like, I, I don't recall what I'm in here for. Yeah. Trying to think about too many things at the same time. I call right. it wet brain. No. Wet brain. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> no, anyway, though, I, I would agree. I think it's all kind of tip of the spear stuff. I think it's, you know, it's things that that still no one really wants to talk about, you know. Um, I think there's all kinds of additives that get piled on. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, a lot oh, of I know Go, he's got it. That came back <laughs> just recently. It was just it's just those thoughts. You know, we're going through this and we're just getting out of COVID. And then you see in the Twitter feed or you see on, on the social media that now, you know, NFPA is saying that the turnout gear mm. will give you cancer, you know, and that was oh, yeah. I mean, um, that was great news. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But like when I came on this fire service, we didn't wash it every fire. No, it was it was a seal of approval. That's, you know, that was right. how you knew you went to jobs and how you how you knew what you were doing is by how melted your helmet was and how dirty your gear was and how right. it smelt all the time. Little did we right. know we were giving ourselves cancer. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. All those things, man. All those like the 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 number of dudes in the EMS service that are just not physically fit at all. They're completely oh, yeah. out of shape, that are just eating horribly, you know. Yeah. drinking themselves to sleep and that's that you know that is a result of traumas and stuff like that you know so is eating eating right. eating is one of the biggest bad coping skills that there is because it's so easy to do you don't have to be an age to get it there's no right. legal age to buy food you know right. there's nothing that's deemed illegal you know right. so food is a very accessible thing <laughs> it, to, to overdo it should be man i tell you especially when you hit 40 it's it's, it's, <laughs> tough, it's tough man Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't I know it? I mean, I'm 
I'm back on the right train now, but that COVID, those COVID years, I packed on some pounds, man. Yeah, I think society did definitely. I uh, became a big fan of the Speedway Roller Grill. <laughs> I was like, man, look at that cheeseburger shaped like a hot dog. I better have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, <clears throat> it's yeah, all of those things, all of the different little micro stressors, all this stuff adds up, and yeah. and on top of that, no one's talking about it really, not publicly, not as a as a group, right? You know, and then if you're not careful, you end up in a, in a world of hurt. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that's why so many of us, you know, just try to, to get word out about it is that mm-hmm. it shows that, you know, we're, we're, we're all human. Right. You know? And I think we sometimes specifically in the first spawner world, we tend to forget that we're humans before anything else. We're not, we're not invincible. We're not superheroes. We bleed red and, um, you know, we are susceptible to just the same things that everyone we try to help day in and day out are. And, um, I think by talking about it, it brings us back to that. And honestly, I think that could lead to doing the job even better and being more compassionate and, right. and having empathy for, uh, for those we, we want to help. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. And it starts, you know, in leadership, like we're very fortunate. We had on this show, we had a, the guy that's will soon be the vice president of our company, you know, mm-hmm. and he's just super open about dealing with depression. Yep. And, and what, and what he still doesn't like I've told him, but he still doesn't really fully realize what an impact that was, mm-hmm. you know, on brand new EMTs on, you know, paramedics with a couple of years on the job and they're hearing, the leadership say, Hey, this is real. This is, I go through this. It's okay to get help. You know, it's important when, you know, the quote unquote old guys uh, or gals on in the service, you know, talk about this stuff. Cause mm-hmm. that's, that's how this job works is you look up to the older people. And uh, right. if, if those older people are open about this, then the younger people can be like more mindful of, of what they experience. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool back in the summer when Austin Cause we were recording outside and he was so brand new. Um, and he was like looking at Jim going, how do you do this? Like he just enough to be in his whole world and mind is just blown open at this point. Oh, yeah. And it was cool to be able to step back and be like, see the old dude and the young dude, like, have the conversation like this is why we do everything that we're doing here with lighthouse and to just see that happen and be like one more one more young adult that has a trusted per- person in their community that they can go talk to and be like mm-hmm. dude what the what the actual hell do i do with this right like, what am i supposed to do and it's like that was a really cool day that was a really cool day to see that mm-hmm. um well, and then recently we had an EMT on that talked about um, uh, an event that she had a year ago and just she's working through physical symptoms of like sleeplessness, like anxiety, mm-hmm. like working through stuff and be able to say that, like, come on as just <laughs> another person in the profession. She doesn't have a big position, title, whatever, but I'm, I'm a peer and I'm saying this is what I'm walking through right now. Yeah, and that's huge. It, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah, um, vulnerability what, can be a big tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What so what would you what would your heart be to to tell somebody like just getting started to make that change to start getting healthy? I think the biggest thing is just being proactive. You, you have to you have to put these things in the beginning. You have to be willing to accept that um 
what this job is, whatever pillar of the first responder world you're in, what this job is, is um, unique. And, you know, the average person sees one to three traumas in their entire life. An average first responder will see 500 to 1,000 in a 20-year career. I mean, that's, you have to prepare for that. And you have to be willing to accept that um, this job will affect you. And it's okay that it's affected. And that's really what I would say is you have to be willing to accept that this job is going to affect you because that makes you a good human being. That makes you a good provider, makes you a good cop, makes you a good firefighter, makes you a good dispatcher, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If you're being affected, that means you're a good person. We're emotional creatures. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. And I would say for for veterans or older guys on the job is to let use that leverage that veteran status, mm-hmm. you know, and, for, and not, not to say we're old school and the old school, this or that, but mm-hmm. just to, to bring the new ones up, you know, and, and help them be better, yeah. better prepared, better so they can flourish better than we did even coming up, you know, cause I, I came through same when it was not even, this was not a, I don't remember in the first, five or to eight years of my career hearing post-traumatic stress disorder ever mentioned no as a thing no matter of fact the um part i part of my story that i always tell is the first fatal fire i did which was four months after i got on before i graduated high school and really bad call ended up being i'm not going to give all the details but it was a murder suicide essentially and the suicide part didn't happen it was an older couple they were in their mid to late 80s she was an invalid and wanted to die. He didn't want to live without her. Set his house on fire with her in the back bedroom. Um, and our fire chief were on call at the time. Uh, showed up, went in to get her. So as we're going, I'm thinking our chief's gone too. I get there. She goes past me. She's dead. I look over and the old man's leaning against the house with his wrist bleeding because he tried slitting his wrist and walking back into the house. Yeah. Two seconds later, our fire chief dives out the window. Now that call aside, that day aside... The kicker was the critical incident stress debriefing or meeting, whatever they called it back in the 90s, uh, that Wednesday. <laughs> Room full of men. There was about 18 of us, all the people who were involved, the dispatch of the cops, the EMTs and the firefighters that were on scene. 18 of us. And the guy standing at the front of the room looked around that room and said, all right, you guys were at a really bad call. Uh, someone died. Someone almost died. And you almost lost your fire chief. Anyone want to talk about this? And there was crickets. And nobody mm-hmm. shared and no one was encouraged to share. And he looked around the room and he said, coffee and donuts in the back guys. And that was my first CSID, uh, CISD uh, at 18 years old. And of course I'm surrounded by guys who I want to impress who are family friends. Mm-hmm. I've been looking up to for the, the, the last 18 years of my life. I'm certainly not going to share. So, right. You know, there's this culture that needs to shift and, um, you know, the tools are there, the resources are there. We just need to better use them and we need to get them to the people who need them. And, uh, you know, I hope that's Mm -hmm. what, you know, people like us do is uh, talk about it and get resources out. Yeah. And uh, I would say as a encouragement to you, I, I, in my own life, I've seen just even the things I'm navigating now and how differently I'm navigating them compared to like even three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, I have people in my life that I can be completely honest with, mm-hmm. with depending on what the thing I need to talk to about. And for me, that's extremely encouraging 
to see that in my, my life, I one have people that I've been able to build that level of trust with two that I'm being that honest and not trying to hide from stuff. Um, and then just simple things of like, I have just grown to really, really love going for long walks. Mm. And so just finding stuff that fills my soul and I have people that know me and that I trust and I'm just so grateful for, but it took, it took, so as an encouragement, it takes, it just takes time to build that. But yep. also I can see further like today, December, 2022, the things I'm doing differently that I wouldn't have even done three years ago. And it's extremely right. encouraging to me to see that and, and recognize it. I'm just very grateful. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you have to, you have to reflect and you have to, you have to be aware of where you're at and the progress you've made. And, and so I think some people lose, lose touch with that. And, yeah. and it's not to dwell on the past, but it's more of to encourage you to build a better future. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah, awesome. That was a uh, that was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, you know, honestly. So I talked to so you know we are we run our own podcast too, and with all the networking I do, I actually networked with a guy by the name of Brett Snow. I don't know if you'd have heard his name. He's from Chicago. He was a Chicago firefighter for a number of years. Um, he's now a uh, pastoral counselor and is down in oh. Florida. Great guy, amazing guy. We actually just had a conversation on our podcast last week and um he gave me permission to give you guys his information if you would want to that bring him on wonderful absolutely yeah. we great really guy. appreciate that great really guy just that. lots of positive energy and um just really encouraging and he's you know he's he's an older guy too uh no offense jim but he's in his 50s and uh <laughs> <laughs> none taken i'm uh, over here drinking my my protein drink that my wife says is good for my immune health support Drinking your insurer and all that, and oh, yeah, getting ready for Matlock. <laughs> oh, dang, <laughs> yeah, nope. Oh, uh, boy, but no, I'll, I'll, I can, uh, I can give you Brett's information. Yeah, please do. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, good morning. No, thank you so all much. Right. It's been a joy and just wonderful to get to know you a bit and and hear about your life and who you are and what you've been doing. So just thank you so much for doing what you're doing in your little piece of the world here, sir. So awesome. Well, thank you for having me on. It was uh great talk to you guys. Good to know you. Yeah, absolutely. I got to know, are you a Bruins fan? Um, so I'm not really, not really a sports fan at all. Actually, it's a funny story. Really? That. Yeah. I was force fed uh, sports. Uh, this goes back to my childhood. I wanted to collect comics that wasn't allowed because it was make-believe. Um, so I was force fed Red Sox cards. And, um, so I, I kind of never really got into sports. I can watch it. Uh, but yeah. I wouldn't say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. I'm, I'm a neutral, I'm a neutral. So I'm a fair weather fan. Okay. Yeah. That's how uh, I <laughs> All right. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and I'll close this out here with thank you for to freedom center church and kingdom builders for your continued support. And remember, if you need help, get help, dial or text 988. That's it. All right. Thanks, guys. 